Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> Glad to see each of you here. It is good to be back after being off for a couple Sundays. <clears throat> Got back to Wyoming from Indiana, which is always one of the greatest blessings you can have. <clears throat> anyway. <clears throat> I'd like for you to uh, look with me at the book of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians from Paul, and there are several scriptures in that letter that I want to read <clears throat> and give you a little background maybe while you're uh, finding that. In Acts 19, there is a record of Paul visiting Ephesus. Ephesus was a leading city in Western Asia, today called Turkey. And Paul had three missionary journeys, and the second journey, first journey, he spent mostly in Eastern Asia. And then the second journey, he intended fully to go to Ephesus, which was on the western coast, an extremely important port city and trade center. But the Holy Spirit, he says, we, we see in the scripture, God warned him, don't go there. Keep going west. And so he thought, all right, we'll turn north and go up into what was then called Bithynia. It would be today... Croatia, Serbia, and through there. Again, the Holy Spirit said, no, don't go there. Keep going west. Well, he didn't have that far to go to get west because he hit the beach. At Troas, it's the ocean. Now where do you go? And we don't know how long he was there. But he and his traveling companions kept praying, Lord, what do you want us to do? And he had a vision in the night. And he says, a young man from Macedonia, which is north of Greece, said, come over into Macedonia and help us. And he gathered that was the direction. So they took ship, crossed the sea, the Aegean Sea, landed in the city of Philippi, and immediately, nearly, thrown into prison, beaten nearly within an inch of his life. I would be wondering by that time if maybe I missed, you know, I missed the leading. But he, he knew he didn't. And so what God did there was jump from what we then would look at as Asia or the Orient. And the scripture, the gospel message, jumped to Europe. I don't know why God did that, except that we do realize as we stand 2,000 years after that, look what God has built in Western Christianity. That was, I can't describe how major of a historical turning point that little nudge, don't go down to Ephesus don't go up into Bithynia, cross over into what is really Europe. 
Now we look back, we see God knew what he was doing. Paul continued on down the peninsula of Greece, ended up in Corinth, preached there for quite some time, and then on his way back to Jerusalem, he swung by Ephesus, clear now to go there. He didn't stay there very long. He left Aquila and Priscilla, laborers of his and helpers of his, and left them to start something. Begin to spread the gospel there, but he felt, I need to go on to Jerusalem. He did. And then on his third missionary journey, he intentionally ends up going to Ephesus. We hear that report in Acts 19. And he spent a little over two years there based in Ephesus, which was the hub, really, of all of that portion of Turkey today. And from there, it says, everyone in Asia heard the gospel. So Ephesus then became, without a question, the main church in that part of the region. Probably, we don't know for sure, but later on, possibly from Corinth or from prison in Rome, he writes this letter to the Ephesians. And it could be seven, eight, ten years after he left there that he writes this letter. And something kind of jumped out to me here recently reading Ephesians. And it's what I want to focus on today. And it's the frequency of the appearance of the word former or formerly. So, beginning in chapter 2, 1 through 3, obviously we can't read the whole letter, but <clears throat> I want to highlight these places where we find this concept of their formerness. 2, verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, meaning those who've disobeyed God, which is everybody, we all, in chapter 2, 2, he says, your former life, then he includes himself. Among them, we all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. All of us were under the wrath of God, the condemnation of God for their disobedience. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. We'll end our reading there. Move on to verse 11 in chapter 2. <clears throat> he tells them previously, 10, 
God made us what we are. We're his workmanship. We've not made the change in our life on our own. God did this. He made us anew. Then in 11, therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, that's the Jews, which is performed in the flesh by human hand. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Then chapter 4 beginning with verse 17. Just previously, <clears throat> he says that we are the church of God, the body of Christ. And then in 17, he says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you've heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Finally, chapter 5. We'll begin with instructions here from Paul to these believers. Verse 3, immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man, which is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. In other words, by telling you something different than what I just told you. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore... Do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. We'll end our reading there. Now, in this emphasis on their former life, former or how they formerly lived and walked, 
if you just look up the word former or formerly, it obviously means that a condition once existed that would identify you, but that condition or that situation or that practice or whatever does not any longer apply to you. Former is over. I formerly lived in Oregon half of my life. What does that mean? Well, it means I don't live there now. I formerly had a Ford pickup. I don't have a Ford anymore. I have a Chevy. We won't, don't talk to me at the back door about that. Former is a simple word, but it's a very serious word. It's a distinct word. I was formerly, Paul said, in his letter to Timothy, describing himself, I was formerly a blasphemer, an injurious man, meaning I hurt people. And he said, I was arrogant. What does formerly mean when Paul describes himself? I don't swear and curse and carry on like I did anymore. I am no longer a hurtful person. I'm no longer arrogant. I'm not that same person. I'm different. Now, what can we draw from Paul's special and re repeated emphasis on previousness, formerly? There are a number of things. One is the necessity, and I can't, necessity is near a good enough word, strong enough word. There has to be a transforming moment in my life when supernaturally God makes me into another person. I can't do it. And we read here earlier that we are, in chapter 2, we're his workmanship. We didn't make ourselves. By works we didn't and bootstrap religion, lift ourselves. I don't want to spend too much time on that today, but I probably, I would if it weren't for you. You've heard me say this, and you understand it, but so much today of the Christian so-called brand of religion in our country is nothing but self-help bootstrap reformation. But it's not transformation. We can often temporarily for a period of time change behavior. We can reform ourselves. We can 
outwardly clean up a bit. We can straighten up some of our most egregious behaviors. And as we do that, usually, what does that lead to? One, I think it often leads to dislocation of our shoulders from patting ourselves on the back. And God doesn't like that. He hates pride, period. Plus, he knows and he clearly tells us we, we are alienated, just like Paul says to these Ephesians. You were alienated from Christ. You were without hope and without God in this world. Nobody who is separated from Jesus has no connection with Jesus and who is without hope, without light, without grace, without God in this world can fix themselves. It is the greatest, I think, moral and spiritual absurdity that we can come up with. I cannot fix myself. We already have a good example of that if we would just read the Bible and take it to heart. We have a good example of that. Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Immediately, their hearts were not only destitute of the presence of God, but in the place of God's presence was uh, suddenly a new attitude. An attitude is not a strong enough word either. It, a new bent of their soul. They were excessively loving of self, even to the point of selling each other out and the point of turning on their maker and blaming him for what they did. They felt shame. They heard God's voice in the garden calling to them. And they felt shameful. They were, and, and I was 14 probably. Now I, yeah, I was 14, I think, or 13. And I was standing near the back door in our church in Eugene, Oregon, and my dad had just preached, and he was standing there. And there was a woman who he got along well with, but she was pretty, pretty gruff and didn't profess to have any kind of religion at all. I don't know how she stood coming to church there. But at any rate, she walked up to him, as people were shaking hands going on, he, she said, every time I come here, you just make me feel like an old sinner. And he smiled at her and he says, that's because you're an old sinner. <laughs> Nowadays, all shame and guilt is pseudo. Oh, no, it's some psychological thing. Maybe the reason I feel guilty is because I am. You understand? They felt shame. They felt guilt. What did they do? They covered themselves, their nakedness, with fig leaves. Now they must have figured out, so they got some little vines, or I don't know what they did, but they came up with some way to cover themselves with fig leaves. Man, if that isn't the best initial illustration of the human race's refusal to go to God 
to get my soul fixed, to try it myself. There is no better illustration than that. And so they wove these fig leaf aprons, whatever they looked like, I don't know. A stiff wind, and that doesn't work. And when God confronted them, what'd you do? Laid it out straight to them. Then he gave them a covering. He gave them animal skins, which was the first hint of the sacrificial system that an innocent, in this case animal, perished to provide a covering for their sin. And that set the sacrificial system even though in that same chapter in Genesis 3, he said, I'm sending a lamb for you. I'm sending my son. It's the first prophecy of Jesus coming to be the true sacrifice whose sins would cover us. We always try to manufacture our own homemade covering. The only covering is God's. And actually, it's an affront to God. It's a terrible affront to God to try to substitute my covering that I manufactured. It's got my label on it instead of God's. He doesn't recognize any covering that he didn't provide. So this reminds us of the utter necessity of a conversion experience. Jesus called it being born again being born of the Spirit. He said, without that, these are straightforward words, without that, nobody will ever see the kingdom of heaven. We're not going to get into heaven with a fig leaf covering. We get in with a covering God provided or we don't get in. So that's the first thing that we see from this emphasis on you formerly, you formerly were this way, but you aren't anymore. A second thing, <clears throat> this is a witness. Formerness is a witness. Now, let me explain what I mean. First of all, it doesn't matter what order we use here, but it's a witness with us that we are Christians. Let me explain what I mean. This is in the scripture. I can't credit it to John Wesley, Methodist founder, but it's got best sermons on it. The witness of the Spirit. Romans 8 says, His Spirit, God's Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now notice the little word with. He didn't say, God's spirit bears witness to my spirit that I'm a child of God, though that's true. But it says he bears witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. That's called, theologically, the indirect witness of the spirit. The direct witness of the spirit is that clearing of the skies above your head 
the, the lifting of guilt and shame, the warming of our hearts with the knowledge my sins are forgiven, enmity between me and God has ceased, and I am reconciled unto God. That comes from the Spirit of God himself who conveys that clear knowledge inwardly to my soul. But there's a corroborating witness. There's a, a trailing witness that comes on the heels of the Holy Spirit telling me I'm different. And that is, my life's changed. I'm different. My life before that drove me to my knees in shame and guilt at the foot of God's son's cross my life is different it may be very small little things but not only do I have a new sense of peace with God enmity is over but I see my life is different a couple of days after I knelt beside my bed and asked God to forgive me for being a card-carrying, laminated card in my wallet. Jerk. My life was different. I, this is small, but I remember at my job, whacking my crazy bone now you think okay this is this is a great sermon I didn't automatically spontaneously with no filter turn the air blue because I always did and I stood there by myself talking to myself I'm re and I said, I, man, I'm really, I'm different. Formerly, even though it was two days, it was formerly. Paul said the same thing. I used to be a blasphemer, but I'm not anymore. I was different. Now that is called the indirect witness. It's my own heart confirming what God has told me. Yeah, I, th there's evidence here. I'm different. I can't spend too much time on that, but our lives change. I did everything I could when I was still living at home, just had graduated from high school, going to community college, still living at home. I did my, everything I could try to do to get out of going to church. Um, and I'd, you know, I stall and get there late and you know, make, you know, <coughs> I, I don't feel too good. My mom was the most cold-blooded nurse that's ever lived. She would just say, take a deep breath. Uh, that didn't usually work, but I would figure some way to avoid church. The Sunday after I knelt by my bed and got right with God, my dad became a good preacher. Our church was a good place to go. I liked the people I ran into instead of avoiding them. I was different. Formerness is a huge witness to me, to my own heart. 
It's a confirming piece of evidence. Another thing, this witness idea. It's a witness to the world. It's a witness to those who know me. To the people, to the guys in the track team and the people that I saw every day. And the way I talked and the way I act and, and so forth. I told them I got saved. It was not met with the joy from them that I had. Um, they thought it was nuts. I only had one friend that was kind of touched by it. But they saw I was different. They stopped even asking me to come over to the Kagers because they knew I wouldn't do it. I ended up, none of them, I, I, none of them stayed my friends. I didn't chase them off. I was different. I was no longer participant in all the things that they were doing. And they didn't like it. And so, I say I lost. And it's sad to lose people. But what did I gain? Well, I gained God. And I gained a whole lifetime of saints of God who are the best people walking this earth. I don't miss the Kagers. You understand what I mean? What did I give up? Nothing but hell in my life because this is what my life was. It's a witness to those around us. God really changes you and they can see it. Just a slight rabbit trail for a second. How devastating it is. How grieving, disappointing. If I were God, with the current state of professing Christians who, frankly, often boast of all the things that they still do, you can be a Christian and, and then we, the list. There's actually a little group on, I'm not on Facebook, but I know of it from family. I'm a Christian and I still swear. First of all, haven't people got more time in their lives to come up with a site? Man, what meaningless lives people have. But what a lie that is. What a total lie that is. And that's coming from the mouths of professing Christians. So the world loves to hear that. I can still do what I always did before. There's no formerness. But I'm a Christian. No. Paul said, we know for certain that whoever does these, these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, God said that. I don't care what a professing Christian says. God said that. It is a powerful witness to the world when our lives are radically changed. There's a history professor, um, well-known historian who's been dead for decades whose 
big, fat, two-volume church history we had to read and study in seminary. His name was Kenneth Scott Latterett. And he summed up the rapid spread of Christianity in the Mediterranean basin in the first 100, 150, 200 years of the church. Why did it, what credentials did it have that got people? And he <clears throat> described it this way. He said it's three things. One, anointed preaching and teaching. In other words, the Holy Spirit filling men and women's hearts who taught and preached and lived the gospel of Jesus transforming power. And it came with a sense of authority from those speakers. It stung their hearts. Second, the love that the believers showed for one another marveled them. Third, the power of transformed lives in front of them. The town drunk gets right with God. They change. They're different. The problem for the devil with that is that you can't refute it. The man that was lame from his mother's birth in Acts 3, Peter and John going up to the temple to pray. This guy's a beggar. He's been there forever. And it says he looked at them. And I won't try to preach on that or we'll be here. You won't be. <laughs> You'll leave. <clears throat> but he looked at them hoping to receive something. And it's obviously implied a few pennies. What a thought. His highest hope was, I hope I could get maybe a nickel. Peter said, I don't have a nickel. But he said, what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. He got up, went to therapy for the next three or four years, had a bunch of surgeries. No, no. He was up and not only walking, but it says he was running and leaping, praising God. It so stirred the crowd up, the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of the Israel government, called the disciples, especially Peter and John, and the guy in for a hearing. What's going on here? Well, they, of course, were the ones that had just recently put Jesus on the cross. And we're trying to tamp down the idea that he'd risen from the dead. And so they said, by what power, this is another sermon point, we could, they said to Peter and James, or John, what, by what power did you do this? That's another human tendency. We always look for a natural explanation what is obviously supernatural because we don't want to acknowledge the supernatural. So they said, how'd you guys do this? And they said, we didn't. But Jesus, who you crucified in his name, through faith in him, made this man able to walk. Then it says this. 
the guy was over 40, and the Sanhedrin, it says, looked at him, knowing, because they went through that same gate and saw him begging for decades. And it says they could say nothing because he was on his feet. That's what I mean by formerness is a powerful witness to the world of God's supernatural ability to transform us. And you can't say anything. Quickly, it's a testimony to Satan. Now let me explain what I mean by that quickly. Those of us who are walking with God, I don't care if it's maybe you got saved and became a believer 40 years ago. We will still be assaulted pretty regularly by the enemy who tells us, you're not any different. You're not right with God. You're a crummy witness. Who have you led to the Lord? All this kind of stuff. The fact that I am formerly and keeping newness is a testimony that I can both assure myself, and John speaks of that in 1 John 5. He says, if our hearts are being accused, we can, we can assure our own hearts by saying, I love the brethren. I love God. I hate sin. In other words, the fact of my transformation, which I've retained by the grace of God, is evidence that I can present back to the accuser of the brethren that, no, I'm okay. Don't let him talk me out of what God's done for me. I know, I know he changed me. Now, quickly, it's also a witness to God's amazing, indescribable, and unimaginable power to change us. This same dear God who didn't even get out of his chair, who's created worlds, galaxies, that we still can't find the end of. Who's created that by not even lifting his finger and not even getting out of his chair? He just said it. All the hosts that said of heaven, made by the breath of his mouth. He just said it. And he can't change my heart. No, I got to go. I, I have to go to all kinds of you know, take links to get through years and years of recovering. Yeah, I still slip back a lot. What in the world? Why, we have a God. We have a God who raises the dead. Can't he change my heart? If I want him to, he will. He's not the problem. We are. Oh, I want him to change things. But there's certain things that are off limits. Now, don't change that. Let me do this. 
I don't want to hear that you don't like that, that I'm doing. You, you, here, here's, Lord, what you need to fix. I become God. He becomes my servant. I'm barking orders to him. Last I checked, he's never taken one of those orders. He didn't care what we have to say. He does, he says, what he wills. I witness to the power of just a new life, witnesses to the mighty power of God to change us. Then finally, there is just one other thing I want to look at. There's always with all the triumph and all the good and all the power of God and the formerness of our lives and our pathway heading to heaven, God never fails to remind us to stay that way. In 5, he says, we know with certainty no immoral and pure person, covetous man's an idolater and so forth, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. What are the empty words that he doesn't want to be deceived by? That you can do these things and still go to heaven. So don't let anybody deceive you. Then, seven, he says, Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness. Notice he, says, he, he doesn't say you were in the dark. You were dark. You were darkness. You were not only living in darkness, but you were a helper to darkness. You were a spreader of darkness because your heart was dark. You lived in the dark. You were darkness. But, he says, now you who were formerly darkness, you are now light. You're sons of light. The point I want to make, though, is in verse 7. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Who's he talking to? Clearly identifies it. People who are sons of light, walking in the light. They are light, just as they were formerly darkness. They are light. Yet he warns them, don't participate with the darkness. And the word there is in seven, do not be partakers. The, the original language is, do not become partakers. That clearly implies to people that are currently light and children of light, that they can, by their own will, they can once again lapse into darkness. I didn't say this. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, don't you become once again darkness. So there's a warning. There's a warning to us. Keep walking as children of light. Deny yourself. Resist temptation. Obey God and His power. I don't care what we go through. His power is available. His grace is sufficient. He can help us. He can change us. Listen, there's, if anything in the Bible that God says He doesn't like that you find in your own hearts and you don't like it, He can fix it. 
No, he can't fix our looks. He can't fix the fact if we've got, you know, single-digit IQ. He usually doesn't fix that. But anything that's moral and spiritual, anything of the heart, he can change. I don't care what it is. He can give me victory, and he can transform me. That's the wonderful message here to these Ephesians who came out of terrible darkness into light. Let's bow our heads. And I want you to just let any of these words, especially not mine, but words of Scripture, speak to our hearts. Let God, I'm not going to ask any of us, to take inventory upon ourselves. We can't do that. We always give ourselves a clean bill of health, lo and behold. But let God talk to our hearts, search our hearts. Whatever he would ever point out to us that he wants to change, he can. Tanner, if you'll come and dismiss us with prayer. Pray with me. Lord, it is good news that there is possibility for change in our lives. So we thank you for that. We thank you for the words we read today, which tell us that for those of us who have changed, there's, there's motivation to keep, keep that change a reality in our life. And for those of us who maybe haven't experienced that change, Lord, would you make it clear to us through those words of your scripture and through looking around us that change is possible for us as well. This isn't just a explanation of the way things used to be, Lord, but help us to see that it's a reality for us. It's an option. It's a, it's a real thing that could happen for us today. Lord, it can be tough and it can be discouraging when we battle with whatever battles we might have within ourselves and with our situations in our lives, Lord, but you have have shown us and you have given us the truth of the reality, the way things really are, and we're grateful for that because it gives us hope, Lord. The truth that we can change gives us hope. Lord, you, you encourage us and you, you call us to not be content with the own coverings that we've made, as Pastor Dan explained and as your scripture says, but to be covered by you, the way that you've told us to be, and that's by accepting and submitting our whole lives to your son, Jesus Christ. So Lord, would you, in each of our hearts, be working out these truths Help us to see that we don't have to continue to live in darkness if that's where we're at. And help us to see as well that if we have come out of that, if we can say about ourselves that we formerly were in darkness, we formerly were people of darkness, Lord, that we don't have to go back to that. And that you want us to keep on going, showing other people what it's like 
to have it change life, Lord. So just let these realities sink deep down into the soil of our souls, Lord. Remind us of these things. Remind us of these words that we read and talked about and sang this morning. Go with us. Lord, it's our prayer that you would continue to speak with us, and we know you're faithful to do that. Long after we leave this room, long after we uh, have read what we've read or saying what we have saying, Lord, you are still able to speak to us. So we do that this week as we go. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming this morning, everyone. We'll see you next week. If you're new with us, head to the Info Center. Talk to the people there. We'd love to get to know you. See ya.